Welcome back to Rockford Reading Daily. We are continuing to read Evicted by Matthew Desmond, subtitled Poverty and Profit in the American City. Please share this on whatever platform you're listening to it on, whether that's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Anchor, YouTube, Facebook, wherever you're listening to this app. Please take the time to get the link and share that. And hopefully we can get one other person to take a listen to this as well. We are beginning chapter 16, which is entitled Ashes on Snow. This is the last chapter in the second part of the book. When the first of the month came, commas once again returned to Sharina's bank account. It wasn't any ordinary month either. It was February, when tenants received tax credits and wrote big rent checks. One had cast her tax return and paid Sharina $2,375. Doreen came up with $950, as her stipulation dictated. Lamar paid $550, but since his painting job had earned him nothing, was still behind as far as Sharina was concerned. He would have to be evicted. Maybe to fully efface the recent memory of being broke, or maybe just for the hell of it, Sharina and Quentin took themselves to the casino on a Wednesday night. Sharina put on a rock-aware sweatsuit, maroon and gold. Quentin sported a G-unit leather jacket, a straight-billed black cap, and a large pinky ring. He found a handicapped parking spot near the main entrance of Potawatomi Casino, Potawatomi Casino, and hung from his rearview mirror the necessary permit, a gift from a handicapped tenant. As they made their way to the bar and grill, past the robotic jungle sounds from all the machines, Sharina smiled impishly and said, quote, I hope you don't have nothing planned for the morning, end quote. She could pass the entire nights at the casino, staying until 3 or 4 a.m., long after Quentin had gone home to sleep. After dinner, where they discussed Sharina's upcoming presentation on, quote, the art of the double closure, end quote, over burgers and Long Island iced teas, they headed to the blackjack section. Sharina walked slowly through the tables and decided on the one with two white men, one alone and smoking, the other jittery with a high-fiving blind on his shoulder. Sharina placed $100 on the table. The minimum bet was $25. She rarely played for less and pulled up a stool. She stayed quiet at the table, tapping her finger for a hit and slicing two through the air to pass. Across town, at 18th and right, Lamar dealt the cards as lucky as Luke, Eddie, Buck, and some other neighborhood boys gathered around the table. It was a bitterly cold night, and the warmth of their bodies was fogging up the kitchen windows. The game had a different rhythm, slower and less boisterous, because Kamala was there. Lamar had been asking Kamala to join him at spades ever since she moved upstairs, and she finally said yes, arranging for her father to stay with her daughters as they slept. Kamala had a man, Devin, the father of her children, but Lamar flirted softly with her all the same. The presence of a woman had a way of altering the house's chemistry. Before she was pregnant, Natasha had once caused so much tension at the space table, solely by being beautiful and desired, that Lamar cut the game short and kicked everyone out. But the boys were on their best behavior around Kamala. They didn't talk much about girls and refrained from calling Lamar a, quote, monkey's ass, end quote, as they had been doing since he shaved his mustache. Kamala was only a few years older than Natasha, but seemed much more of a woman to them, encased as she was in a hard shell of dignity and world weariness. Lamar's New Year's resolution was, quote, to honor God, stay clean, and find a new place, end quote. Serena had been ignoring his request for repairs. The kitchen sink had been leaking for the better part of a week and was now running onto the floor. Lamar figured Serena would not let him stay much longer anyway. 
Maybe it was for the best, he thought. Maybe his next place could also be a safe haven for all his boys. Lamar didn't understand why Sharina treated him like she did. Quote, why would you fuck someone that's trying... Excuse me. Quote, why would you fuck someone that's not trying to fuck you? End quote, he wondered. Sharina wondered the same thing. Lamar said the sink was broken. Sharina said he broke the sink. Quentin didn't enjoy Sharina at the blackjack table. At the blackjack table. He never did. Instead, he watched from a distance and made sure nobody got angry or fresh with his wife. Whatever pleasure he took from being at the casino had to do with seeing Sharina happy. Quentin hated gambling. Quote, bam, there goes $50 right there, end quote. He murmured after Sharina lost another hand. Cards fell. The night unfurled. Quentin took a phone call, hung up, and approached the blackjack table. He brought his face next to Sharina's and whispered that 18th and right was on fire. She immediately collected her chips and followed Quentin out the door. Quote, Doreen's, end quote, Serena asked when she caught up to Quentin. Quote, no, the back unit, end quote. Quote, Lamar's, end quote. Quote, no, the upstairs, Kamala's, end quote. Quentin sped away from the casino. Quote, Lord, please, please let this be something minor, end quote, Serena prayed holding on to the door handle as the suburban careened through the back rows that led to 18th Street. Lifting her head, she fretted. Quote, shame on them. I hope my shit ain't burnt to a crisp. End quote. When Quentin tried turning down 18th Street, he met a roadblock. Quote, already that motherfucker lit up like Christmas down here. End quote, he said. He could see fire trucks in front of their property, their red and white lights shooting out in every direction but not the house itself. Quentin tried another route, then another, but fire trucks and ambulances had blocked off the surrounding streets and alleyways. As he maneuvered the suburban, Sharina caught brief glimpses of the scene as it flashed through the beaks in the neighboring houses, through the breaks in the neighboring houses. Finally, Quentin tried a black alley, a back alley a block behind 18th Street. Through the suburban's window, the shadowed rear of a garage gave way to a snow-covered abandoned lot and the property showed itself in full view. Sharina lost her breath. Quote, damn, that's real bad, Cher. End quote, Quentin let out. The house was engulfed. Flames were leaping from the roof and disappearing into a milky column of smoke and steam towering into the winter sky. Quentin and Sharina watched firefighters in silhouettes dash around what had been Kamala's apartment, now a gutted, car-cold shell, charcoal shell. What was not burning was slicked in ice from frozen hose water. Quentin headed toward the house. Serena stayed put. The fire reminded her of the time a disgruntled mortgage customer tossed a homemade bomb through her office window. Since then, the sight of fire disturbed and reduced her. Quentin recognized Luke as Lamar's eldest son, even as he was crying with his head between his knees. A teenage girl consoled him on Doreen's steps. It was hard to hear her over the noise. The grumble of diesel engines, the jackhammer whirring of the water pumps, the sizzle of water meeting the heat, the splitting of wood under axes. Patrice was outside too, shivering in only a t-shirt and jeans. She motioned to Quentin and, lifting her voice, hollered in the direction of a firefighter. Quote, he the landlord, end quote. The firefighter nodded and approached Quentin. Bystanders' faces glowed orange out of the darkness when the flames burst upward. Patrice allowed herself one more look at the paramedics gathered at the rear of an ambulance and went inside. 
The Hingstons' house, separated from the back house where Lamar and Kamala lived by only a small patch of mud and weeds, was crammed with people. Doreen was sitting near the front door, cradling her youngest granddaughter, Kayla May. Natasha was on the floor next to Ruby, draped in a blanket. The rest of the Hingston kids sat in a row on a mattress, wide-eyed at the weight of the moment. Lamar was slumped in his wheelchair, rubbing his head and drying his eyes. Eddie and Buck stood by his side. White people in hard hats milled through the crowd, apologizing and collecting information. Quote, I'm sorry, can I get your name? End quote. Patrice, who had seen a firefighter carry something to the ambulance under a white sheet, looked at Kamala. She was writhing on the floor, screaming, quote, My baby, my baby. End quote. Her hair had been burnt off on one side. She arched her back and pressed her face into the ground. An older woman nobody recognized tried to hold her. Quote, whoa, end quote, she would say as Kamala lurched. Quote, whoa, end quote. When the old woman grew tired, she let go, and Kamala collapsed onto the floor, wailing. Devin walked into the house, carrying two of his daughters, both Tyler's. He pushed the scared girls past the crescent of police officers who were surrounding their mother. Kamala sat up and pulled the girls in. She clung to them kissed their faces all over, and pressing her head into theirs, spilled her tears into their hair. An older firefighter stepped into the Hingstons' house. He knelt down beside Kamala and told her what she already knew. Her youngest daughter, eight months old, was dead. Kamala fell back and let out a trembling, otherworldly groan. Quote, he killed my baby, end quote, Kamala screamed, convulsing. Quote, I'ma kill him, I'ma kill him, end quote. Devin began pacing the room with clenched fists. Over and over, he whispered, quote, that's the second one. That's the second one, end quote. At one point, he stopped and stood over Kamala. The room hushed and looked on. Devin looked to be on the verge of violence. But the moment passed and he resumed his pacing in mad chant, quote, that's the second one, end quote. They had lost a baby just a year earlier, a daughter who was a stillborn. Kamala and Devin wore her ashes around their necks in matching lockets. Quote, oh God, end quote, Sharina said when Quentin told her. Quote, I hope they didn't leave that baby at home by herself, end quote. Sharina's mind drifted back to earlier years when she was a fourth grade teacher and Kamala her student. Quote, she was always a good girl in school, end quote, she said. Back at home, Quentin and Sharina tried putting the pieces together. Quote, Devin and Kamala, end quote, Quentin began, quote, was downstairs, end quote, Sharina followed, quote, playing cards with Lamar, and maybe left something on, and by the time they realized it was a fire, they tried to run upstairs, but it was too late, end quote. Quentin keyed the computer to see if the fire had made the news. It had, quote, firefighters did not hear smoke detectors when they arrived, end quote, he read, quote, there's a smoke detector in the kitchen end quote, he said. Quote, there's supposed to be one in each sleeping area, end quote, Sharina replied. Quote, I thought we had put some smoke detectors up there. I can't remember right now, end quote. The following day, Sharina heard from the fire inspector. He said the fire had started when one of Kamala's daughters climbed out of bed and knocked over a lamp. Kamala's father had either fled without grabbing the baby or more likely, left the girls alone earlier in the evening. 
Both Kamala and Luke had tried to rescue the child, but the fire was all-consuming. Kamala's other two daughters walked out themselves before the fire got out of control. Nobody had heard a smoke detector go off. The fire inspector told Sharina she, quote, didn't have anything to worry about, end quote. She wasn't liable for anything that had happened. Sharina then asked if she was obligated to return Kamala's and Lamar's rent since the fire happened a few days after the first of the month. The fire inspector said no, and that settled it in Sharina's mind. Quote, they are not getting any money back from me, end quote, she said. Sharina figured both Kamala and Lamar would ask for their rent to be returned, and she was right. Sharina planned to tear the place down and pocket the insurance payout. Quote, the only positive thing y'all can say is happening out of all of this is that I may get a huge chunk of money, end quote, she said. That and, quote, getting rid of Lamar, end quote. The Red Cross would find Lamar and his sons a new place to live, giving Sharina one less eviction to worry about. Earlier that morning, loud knocking had pulled Doreen out of bed. She opened the front door in her nightgown to find reporters with cameras and microphones. After a few questions, Doreen shut the door and told herself not to answer it for the rest of the day. She walked through the kitchen and looked, at it, looked out a back window. Kamala's second-floor apartment looked like a dark cave. The windows had been broken out and a large section of the roof was gone, leaving only support beams. Runoff had left the siding streets with gray grime. The snowy ground was blackened with ash. Scattered about were roof shingles, long pieces of wood, the skeletons of furniture and other household items. A gnarled junk heap all charred and coated with hardened foam from the fire hoses. Water had frozen into thousands of icy bulbs that appeared to drip off the tips of surrounding tree branches. Doreen lowered her eyes and saw, on the house's front porch, six white lilies tied with a cream ribbon. Spring in the dead of winter. And that brings us to the end of chapter 16, Ashes on Snow. And that also brings us to the end of part two of Evicted, which was entitled Out. And brings us to the beginning of part three, which is entitled After. And what we will do here is we will end this episode and we will be back tomorrow to start chapter 17, which is entitled, This is America. And I think the heartbreak, the tragedy is what stands out to me from the passage we just read. Uh, it makes me think of high risers and some of the deaths that happened in high risers. A couple of those were also fires. Uh, it makes me think of how often fires take place in these these house and housing that is not being uh, adequately kept up by uh, the owners of the property. Uh, when you think about the fact there was no, excuse me, no fire detectors uh, in the in the homes. It's supposed to be a fire detector in every room. There's no fire detectors. When you think that how Serena's first thought was making sure she didn't have have to give rent money back. And when they asked for the rent, her denying them the rent money being given back. When you think about how the sink issue with Lamar, like this is separate from the tragedy, but Lamar, her not coming to fix Lamar's sink, her blaming Lamar for the sink being broken, uh, her not crediting Lamar for some of the things that he tried to do to try to get rent knocked off. 
you know, all of these, you know, all of the up until we're on the second, we've read two full parts of this book. And we, the main thing that we have seen is just people who are vulnerable and people who are marginalized being further exploited by the system of housing that is at play in Milwaukee. And I think that that gives that look into Milwaukee gives us a specific vantage point into a problem that is much wider and much broader. Uh, but before you can understand something in a, a much wide sense, you have to begin to understand it in a in an isolated sense. And Evicted is doing a great job of helping us to uh, understand that. And so I think Evicted, along with The Color of Law, along with High Risers, and along with Citizens, Cops, and Power are very is a are, is a very strong section of our curriculum that is geared towards informing us about issues of housing and how those issues play into the issues of police terrorism, mass incarceration, and racial injustice that we are combating. So please share this on whatever platform you're listening to it on. If, if there are future episodes of Rafa Reading Out, by the time you hear this, please go listen to those. If there are previous episodes out, which of course there are, make sure you please go listen to those. And I will holler at you tomorrow.